0: You say that to all your guests. I know, I
1: know. No, I don't. Let's go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. His latest book is Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. Something to read while you're cooped up inside. Hello, Professor.
0: Hello, hello. David, how you feeling? I, I, I'd i uh,
1: complain, but, uh, you know, I, I got a my back i'm worried about i'm just gonna start complaining about everything I have.
0: <laughs> i'm coughing a little bit but this cough goes back before the virus
1: okay I, i'm just to make sure i'm washing my hands here's what i'm resenting young people calling to see how i'm doing back off i resent that <laughs> i'm fine
0: well that's you know what you know what? i was talking to a colleague of mine on the phone today and uh i was saying to him you know it's 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 kind of selfish of me, but at seventy, I can't really go out and be too active in crowds. But apparently, people under nineteen, I, people under nineteen, can do that kind of stuff. So maybe it's time for a new civilian conservation corps or a civilian preservation corps. You know, something along the lines of young people, sort of. You know, since they're not in high school anyhow, most of the schools are closed. They get involved in sort of you know collective activities to, to help out people who, who can't help themselves. And then we definitely do give them free public higher education.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you about how this country has handled crises like this in the past. I am an eternal optimist. I cannot help it. I'm a Pollyanna. I always see things as a gift. It has to be that way. Crisis is opportunity, that came to us from China, along with the coronavirus. But they do say <laughs> crisis is opportunity. So... Yes. Let's start off on a positive note. What would Franklin Roosevelt say? Because well, he was okay. a sunny... Wasn't he a sunny optimist?
0: Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact... Um, yeah. You know, it, what's interesting is, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I'll just point out, this book I brought out, Take Hold of Our History... Um, that, Um In many ways, it was directed at the already existing crisis we faced, um, which was the fact that for 45 years, we've been subject to this class war from above by the right and the rich, the corporate rich, and neoliberals. And Donald Trump is the consequence of that crisis. So in many ways, I thought to myself, well, this is surely the opportunity for Americans to remember who they are. And and not only seek to expel Donald Trump and the Republicans from Washington, D.C., but also perhaps to do what needs doing. And I and I say that because Roosevelt, and we go back to Lincoln, we go back to the, to the likes of the Revolution, that R- Roosevelt had this tremendous confidence in his fellow citizens, and he had a, a remarkable sense of history. And I think I've said this before on the show, he actually uh, came to be called by, by various historians the history teacher-in-chief, and that is that even as as a candidate and then as president, he always wrapped his, his arguments, his reflections, his proclamations in his own sense of history, which he believed he shared with most Americans. And what that meant is that he looked back, he looked back to the time of the Civil War, he looked back to the time of the Revolution, and he seemed to appreciate what most of us have for too long forgotten, and that is that, at, that, in many ways, America is a revolution. And the biggest danger that faces the United States is that for too long we might be governed by conservatives. In other words, he had no, under, no problem understanding how conservatives might govern, and they might govern for an awfully long time. And, but the danger, as far as he was concerned, is that they might govern for too long a time. And in those cases... They're always presented as of the possibility of either, of, of some kind of revolution of an un-American sort, you might say. Mm-hmm. A revolution that, in his case, he might have thought of either as fascist, that as took place in Germany and in Italy and other, uh, Euro- central European countries, or perhaps communist, and, and result in something like the Soviet Union, an authoritarian, or some social scientists put a totalitarian kind of political and economic order. And he thought that at those kinds of moments where, where a, an authoritarian revolution might threaten, that was the time that Americans themselves needed to make America fairly radical, I mean, indeed radical for a generation. That is, carry out significant transformations. And what he meant by that is address inequalities, address injustices, empower American citizens to sustain the American revolution
1: that's really so, interesting you know why because yeah. we have dr harriet fraud on the show today and she is a uh-huh. marxist psychotherapist and she was talking about the tensions that arise from a crisis like this and there're two yeah. pl- there're two directions you can go you can turn to fascism or you can turn to communism and what you're saying is so interesting that Roosevelt. I'm just reiterating what yeah, you sure. just said because it's, mm-hmm. it, it bears repeating over and over again. And it's the genius of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He saw Hitler and he saw Stalin. Neither was appealing to him. And you're saying that he he understood yeah, I, I, something that there was an alternative. Very,
0: yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I can. I just. I just grab hold of the quote itself. I keep it not too far away from where I'm sitting. In in 1930, he told his friend, John Kingsbury, and I have to admit, I don't remember who John Kingsbury himself was. Uh, He told them that, that there, and I'm quoting now, there is no question in my mind, Roosevelt said, that it is time for the country to become fairly radical for a generation. History shows that where this occurs, nations are saved from revolution. Mm. Okay, because he did fear what might happen if if conservatives continued to prevail in America, that it might result in something that had happened, something like that, which had happened in fascist Italy or Nazi Germany or, for that matter, uh, communist Russia. I mean, he really did believe that it was imperative that 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 we carry out what turned out to be a revolution in many ways, but especially if radical changes were necessary. And and keep in mind that. When he first started speaking in these kinds of terms was actually when he was rather young, but especially, say, in the 1920s when he was suffering from polio. I mean, he would always suffer from the consequences of polio, but at this point in the 20s, he had to confront the reality itself of polio, whereas as time went on, he sort of um, transcended the affliction, in order to become a very, very vibrant, leading kind of figure in America, and then eventually president. So in the 1920s, he gave a talk at uh, the Milton Academy, which is up in the Boston area, and he told these, these were teenagers he was talking to, you know, sort of high schoolers, and he actually told them how how change was a good, and that when conservatives rule for too long, it's dangerous. So already he's thinking about the imperative. This is before the, the, the Depression hits. This is like 1925, 1926. And then when the Depression hits, he sees it as a consequence of conservative rule, that the, the crash and depression of the late 20s into 30s, that was due to the fact that conservatives had governed too long. And in the, in the course of governing, they had essentially disempowered Americans, that the corporate rich had gotten all the more powerful. And that, in many ways, this had been going on for all too long, because he was thinking of the period, say, 1880s, 1890s, what we call the Gilded Age, uh, using Mark Twain's the novel by Mark Twain as as, uh, as the reference point. And he got to this point, he really did worry, and he, in fact, it was always in his mind that if somehow Americans themselves didn't advance that radicalism during the course of the thirties that the danger would be that conservative republicans might not only return to power but might open the door to fascism or possibly some kind of communist reaction so yeah he had this on his mind a lot now what did that mean for him it meant that when he spoke of a new deal as he did in nineteen thirty two when he was running for president he didn't mean oh, good that we democrats will get back in power and we can divvy up the proceeds, and we can restore things to uh, some kind of uh, golden era of the past. No, what it actually meant for him was this would give this would give Americans the opportunity to address, first of all, the Depression, to, to, to lift the nation themselves out of the Depression. But to do that, he didn't think it was just a matter of priming the pump. You know that expression, priming the pump? You know, hand out a lot of money, right. you know, Give businesses a lot of money. What it meant for him was that you were going to pursue initiatives that would actually radically transform America. So that included not only placing business under far more regulation, supervision and regulation by democratic government than had ever existed in the past, but also it meant that you were going to recruit young people, young men in particular, into the Civilian Conservation Corps, not only for their sake... Okay, to give them jobs and give them health care, provide them with a better education while they were in the Corps, but, but also in order to fight soil erosion. And they planted million, hundreds of millions, if not you know, billions, of little seedlings, saplings and seedlings and saplings to fight soil erosion. That would also mean they could then create parks, that they could uh, lay down sidewalks. And this was also true all the more for the, for the Works Progress Administration. The idea was that you empower people, in the course of fighting the Depression. And in the course of doing so, it would also involve, as it did both in 1933 when he signed the National Industrial Recovery Act, but then all the more aggressively and assertively in '35 when he signed the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act. I mean, Roosevelt, Roosevelt understood not only what was essential to fighting the Depression, but in many ways what was essential to being an American.
1: Right. In the fight for the four freedoms, what made America's uh, what, what made, made FDR, FDR the greatest? Gener- yeah. yeah, what made FDR and the greatest mm-hmm. generation truly great? I think you wrote. I think it's been a mm-hmm. while that he was not a big reader. That Roosevelt was a man of action. You know, Teddy, no,
0: that's not me. No, okay. that, that's not me. No, what I did say. This is what it was: is that he, he admired. He admired Teddy Roosevelt, his cousin, and Woodrow Wilson, in whose administration he served as Assistant Secretary of the Navy. And he not only admired them, but he also wanted to emulate them. He wanted to be president. From As a young man, there was no question he wanted to be president. So he, you know, he had, he, in many ways, he sort of mimicked Teddy Roosevelt. In, in certain ways, he sought to copy Woodrow Wilson. But he really did find his own way, except in one sense he failed, which is trivial compared to the other stuff he accomplished. Both Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson were authors. Okay, mm-hmm. Roosevelt himself, you know, Teddy TR wrote a lot of books. Woodrow Wilson may not have written a lot of books, but the books he wrote were significant in size, and they became sort of reference, you know, textbooks uh, of their day. And Roosevelt, Franklin, that is, FDR, realized after the war, after... The Democrats lost the White House. That when he returned uh, to to the homestead, you know, to Hyde Park, that he would need to emulate them. That he would now have the time to write American history. So he 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 actually read quite a bit and a significant library. He also had a, an amazing stamp collection, and this in many ways, that might have been his primary uh, not calling what's it called you know his primary hobby and avocation. So what he did is he set himself to the idea of writing a new history of the United States. He said that all the histories he had looked at so far just didn't get at how dynamic America was from the very start. And he set himself to do it, but he couldn't get beyond, I think it was like one or maybe two chapters. He just didn't, he didn't find that he had that kind of discipline, what you know, you might say a writer's discipline, an authorial discipline. So he pushes it aside. But to go back to what I was saying earlier, he actually becomes far more significant, a historian, you might say, than either Teddy Roosevelt or Woodrow Wilson because his speeches became this sort of transformational story of America where Americans, as they pursued the New Deal, could also see how they themselves were not only improving their own lives and improving the economy, that they were making history as Americans are supposed to make history, by improving America, not by just enjoying the benefits of the nation.
1: Let me ask you about Nancy Pelosi's bill and what, what Roosevelt would have imagined as opposed to Nancy Pelosi. So there's a coronavirus stimulus bill that's being held up in the Senate and the House, and Nancy Pelosi late last night proposed her own $2.5 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill. And mm-hmm. it's different from what the Republicans want to pass. They're pushing uh, safeguards to make sure that corporations are spending the money on their workers and not stock buybacks. And oh, yeah. it's a massive. they did
0: the last time around.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry?
0: Which they've done before when handed monies from the federal government. Right. To, they bought back stock,
1: yeah. The name of the bill, this is proposed by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. The name of the new bill, it's a $2.5 trillion stimulus bill. It's called Take Responsibility for Workers and Families Act. Uh, how, does that, how, does that, how does that take responsibility for, for workers. workers and families act. And when I saw the name of the bill, I could <laughs> oh, hear what, what did you say? Oh, I want to say worse, but Holy cow.
0: These people have no imagination when it comes to messaging. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> well, I thought, cause I heard your voice uh, yeah. earlier when I read that. I, oh, I got to ask professor. Cause the F word came to mind. Like it has the words responsibility in it.
0: Yeah. Workers
1: and yeah. families Straight out of the you know Frank Luntz school of messaging, would <laughs> Roosevelt, at the height of the Great Depression, start talking about the plight of workers and families? What? what? Well, of course, absolutely. But but what should we but, really but be would, focused but He would have on?
0: known better than to name it something that's that that hard to remember. Okay, he might. have, Hey, he maybe would have called it. A new deal oh my god but that would right. have been too much right? right or or maybe would have called it a workers and family act
1: right but yeah I mean, But here's the problem i have with take okay, respons- sorry I, yeah, I, yeah i mean the, the the problem i have with take responsibility for workers and yeah. families act is baked into that is if you're working you're entitled to some sort of assistance if you have a family you're entitled to some sort of assistance from the federal government responsibility. If you're responsible, you're entitled to some sort of bailout from the government. What about the people who are on the streets, who don't have families, don't have jobs, and quite frankly, have no responsibilities because they're isolated alone and just getting by? We just let them. If if
0: that's what you're asking about, then I can tell you that even if, even if those same priorities might have governed in key initiatives in the Roosevelt administration, his 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 idea for rapid action, first and foremost, was to make sure that people who did not have jobs had wherewithal. Okay.
1: You mean food. You mean food and shelter. And shelter, you bet, food and shelter,
0: and soon enough, although right now everything needs to be worked out, I suppose, jobs. Right. Because he knew full well that Americans did not like handouts, and, and that probably still remains the case. But when, in, in this kind of crisis, I mean, this, is, this crisis is, of course, somewhat different from when he took office, because the United States had already been in a recession for, for a period of time, and the Republicans had utterly screwed up any means of actually trying to overcome the great depression so in many ways we're facing look in many ways we're facing a, a crisis that is unprecedented but in other ways this has been a bit of crisis in the making now, so can, can i change the question a little bit yeah. David? yeah okay and the reason i say that is i bet i don't know, i don't know if people have the time and they probably don't but if they do have the time since so many of us are at home they might want to go back and look at the archive of the shows you've got on the online okay in various places they can go um, and we, and they want to have a look at your cover our conversation okay the ones we've had mm-hmm. which are often monday nights and sometimes on the uh, you know and posted on tuesdays sometimes thursday posted friday and i could and i swear to you it's only within two or three weeks ago that I was telling you how outraged I was by the Democrats' capacity. I say the Democrats because all of the people in the debates, other than Bernie Sanders, did what I'm about to say. They went before the American people on national television and said, we cannot afford Medicare for all. Did we say that? Mm -hmm. We did say that, right? And people said, but that would be too expensive. It would, you know, basically break the bank, or smash the budget, or you're going to talk about a trillion dollar, whatever the hell it was. And, and Bernie m- might well have been thinking to himself, you people just don't get it. And he could have done a better job replying to all of them, and he, and he didn't. And what's the old expression? It's, you know, water under the bridge. Mm-hmm. But it is the case that that whole crew of Democrats, the hardcore neoliberals like Biden, the pseudo uh, progressives like uh, Buttigieg um, and, uh, and uh, I don't even remember the other names. It doesn't even matter right now. But the point is they all basically said unaffordable, right? Unaffordable. And now here's Nancy Pelosi, who's rising to the occasion, right, and proposing, what did you say, a $2.5 trillion yes. initiative? Yes. By the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. What I'm saying is how come when Bernie Sanders wants to address A health care crisis in America, a a crisis both moral and political, okay? They were convinced it was unacceptable. That's the thing I cannot get over about this. And and then today, I don't know if you saw it, I I tweeted in response to it. Hillary Clinton tweeted something to the effect of Franklin Roosevelt, you know, would not do this, you know, basically, Franklin Roosevelt would not do what the Republicans want to do. And I thought to myself, holy cow, Hmm. right? I'm saying cow because I don't know if you you. want me to use the F word, okay?
1: You said Clinton. (laughs) I can only handle one obscenity at a time.
0: Thank you. Well, (laughs) that's perfect. And I thought to myself, is she kidding me? She had the audacity to do everything in her power to take Bernie Sanders out at the knees, that loser of a politician, to take him out at the knees saying nobody liked him, saying that she he treated her unfairly she might as well have said that you know he abused her in some way it seems mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden the one candidate the one candidate who wanted to redeem the legacy of Franklin Roosevelt in the greatest generation Bernie Sanders who basically who she's gone after who she's crapped all over and now she's talking about Franklin Roosevelt how you know how dare she right i mean uh, so they place us in this position of course 2.5 trillion dollars but then they come up with these crazy kinds of names they want to they want to frame it so that it's acceptable to, to the old folk the old the old fashioned republicans who really don't want to give anything away to people who don't already, who already are without I mean come on I mean, we are living through this strange and bizarre and perverse moment and just think if this were 3 weeks ago and I can tell you, I have, you know my complaints with Bernie, and my complaint with Bernie goes even further, that, that and I said quite often, even though I voted for him and I give him money, the fact is that three weeks ago, if this crisis were hitting, there was only one person that we would all be talking about as having the wherewithal within him, intellectually and intellect and, and morally and politically, to address this crisis. And that was Bernie Sanders, OK? oh, oh boy. We and don't really have gets, yeah.
1: we don't have a party to address this crisis. I mean, Biden is the presumptive nominee. He's holding these talks from a bunker somewhere. He's addled. I mean, it, it's yeah, He
0: gave a talk. You know, the biggest talk he gave the other day was to was in a fundraiser by video chat or whatever the hell it was. You know. Meanwhile, Bernie is doing national YouTube events trying to encourage Americans and trying to raise money to address the needs of those who are in the worst shape, you know, money for meals on wheels and things like that. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Okay. So I, I don't want you to horse race a pandemic, but three weeks ago was super Tuesday. And, you know, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. Once Obama put the thumb on the scale and yes. after South Carolina, we knew Bernie was going to have a rough time in on Super Tuesday, three weeks ago. We didn't know how bad right. it was going to be for Bernie. Things happened very quickly. Three weeks ago we had an economy and we didn't have hospitals being flooded. I mean now right. we're gonna to... Well we knew it but but people knew it was
0: coming and that's the don't we shouldn't forget that. We shouldn't forget that, that that meanwhile the conservatives and the Trump presidents presidential administration and the neoliberals they all should have. They were all aware of what was coming. They could. They knew a pandemic was coming, and they were talking about no Medicare for all. But I keep cutting you off. Go right well, ahead. Well, I'm
1: just saying, what do you see, A, do you see any hope for Bernie's candidacy? B, do you see any hope for our economy in the, the not-too-distant future? Do you see any hope for our hospitals? That should have been my first question that should be a do you see any hope for the american people and and our health infrastructure and do you see any chance and i guess this is the first question i want to ask you have we ever suspended elections during the civil war did we suspend Yeah, ele- you
0: brought that up last time no we don't suspend elections basically we don't do that uh primaries are are not national elections by right. the way so they you know you can move those around if you have to in the light of an emergency, but no, you don't. You don't suspend an election, and the, and I and God forbid, or you know, whoever's capable of forbidding it should never allow this administration to start talking about postponing an election. Because next thing you'll know, we'll have a presidential life. So, uh, but there are ways of setting it up. I mean, how many times have we talked about the possibility of online voting? If you know, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but this is not the government that can do anything.
0: Yeah, this is a government that, right. You know, and that's something, you know, you know, I can't believe I'm going to fall back on the cliche again. It's like timing is everything, right? right? So three weeks ago, we might have seen a Bernie Sanders emerge from all of this as the champion of decency and, and social democracy, winning a presidential election in November. Um, now, what have we got? Well, we've got an administration which is utterly incompetent. We have a president who is literally saying things in his news conferences that lead to death. Mm-hmm. Okay, when he talked, did you hear what he said to did you hear what he said? He said, you know, basically he he said that he has a feeling that this miracle cure, whatever this hydro right. chlor- not hydro, you know, yeah. that 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 this might be more effective than the, than the scientists realized. That he just has a feeling and he's been right on a lot of things. My god, if you can what the fuck is going on in Washington D.C.? What has he been right about? What what was he what ever right about? What has he been right about? It's a good, very good question. Okay, and right now, I mean, right now, surely this would be—is it, is it the Twenty-fifth Amendment that, it, that mm-hmm. empowers certain folks to remove him? Yeah. I mean, he is—he is a clear and present danger. And by the way, so is so is Pence. I mean, we are living in an age. Who would have believed this being possible? This is the kind of thing that that really not only makes you yearn for the likes of Obama. It almost—it it almost makes. This makes you want, want Obama to be on television every night. Yeah, I know. Just simply to answer, just what I'm saying is, just put so, somebody needs to reply to every one of this man this man's idiocies.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I said that earlier that I have a lot of problems with Obama, but so do uh, I. But at least when the crisis hit, John McCain took out the tired, shopworn trope. The fundamentals of the economy are still sound. That was back in 2008 when the bottom fell out of the market. And Barack Obama said, no, they're not. And he was smart enough to grasp the gravity of the financial crisis and... Unfortunately, he surrendered. Unfortunately,
0: one, he didn't spend enough money doing it. Number two, he didn't empower working people. Number three, he let the bankers get away with it. Number four, he didn't address the true housing crisis as people were being foreclosed. You know what yeah, I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: What good. And it can- was a very lethargic recovery. Yeah. A very, and, and when people talked about how, uh, how um, Trump has been able to take advantage of an Obama recovery, we shouldn't forget that that was a very, very slow and lethargic recovery
1: what good comes from this because in 2008 when capitalism collapsed under the weight of george w bush i remember thinking okay there's gonna be a lot of pain but this is the lesson that hoover taught and that is don't trust the republicans don't trust supply-side economics and we'll finally learn that lesson we didn't learn the lesson and, you know, they go back now. Amity Shales, the historian. Schles, yeah. Schley's, yeah. Schley's, whatever. Yeah. She has rewritten history. She took hold of our history. Yep, she, she did. And she kind of says it was, you know, Hoover, had he been reelected, would have done a better job
0: saving. Yep, that's what she says. That's so, what she says. But, of course, she's the president of the Calvin Coolidge
1: fan club. Right. So... We don't, I mean, we're not going to, we don't learn our lessons, do we? Well,
0: we, we might better learn our lessons. And this is where Bernie right now has a key role to play, a very key role to play, even if he can't win the nomination. you need, it isn't like millions upon millions upon millions of people instinctively, I mean, instinctively, they know something's wrong but the lessons they draw from what they see as wrong can vary given predispositions okay what i think is bernie's role right now is he does these shows right these youtube shows if somehow we could and they won't do it they could have one more debate right insisting upon it some opportunity in which bernie on in a really national television setting and I'm telling you he's not going to do it, but I, this is what I think is crucial. If he, he needs to remind Americans of, call them lessons or whatever else, but I think it's a matter of him reminding Americans that in the face of overwhelming crises, and we didn't even talk about the Revolution or the Civil War, but in the face of overwhelming crises, the way in which we've transcended the crisis is not by, stop, is by uh, what you would call suspending who we are, but remembering who we are and actually taking hold of them, not just our history, but taking hold of America and radically transforming it. Okay, so for example, if now we're talking about, you know, $2.5 trillion initiatives, which presumably will cover some kind of at least temporary national health care arrangement, we ought to be talking about making it permanent. In other words, make health care permanent. Medicare for all. Within the, make it permanent by the end of the year, okay? How about regarding public higher education? How about saying, look, the, the debts are overwhelming, and what we need to do is not only provide for those in need, but we need to wipe out debts or, that are literally driving people into needy situations. You know, it's interesting today, um, Biden, I think, issued some new little video, um, just a, a YouTube-type video, and I swear to you he started – he started grabbing hold of some of Bernie's ammunition.
1: Mm-hmm. So, for
0: example, I believe he actually talked about student debt as a, as a critical question. In other words, we need to start addressing these kinds of things. So I'm not telling you that Biden is going to be some kind of progressive figure. I think it's the case that Bernie has this incredible capacity to not only have pulled the Democratic Party somewhat to the left, but he should be speaking to the nation as a whole, and somehow we need to empower him to do so, so he can remind Americans of what it means to confront a crisis, defeat our enemies, and transcend the crisis by not waiting to make radical change possible, but by, but by pursuing radical change as the answer to the crisis. That's what I would love. I, that's the message. I mean, nobody's... Look, my book sells in who knows how many numbers. They're not significant enough to, to make it a major dent. Uh, not even MSNBC is going to have me on for a book titled Take Hold of Our History and Make America Radical Again. Mm. But if Bernie could talk like that, that would make a tremendous difference, encouraging people, enabling people to realize what needs doing and why they have it in themselves to start acting like Americans.
1: When Biden evokes... Bernie, when Hillary evokes FDR, it's tantamount to handing the American people a pile of cow dung and saying, here, try the caviar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they're doing. I mean, and we saw it with Medicare for All. Right. Everybody was for Medicare for All until you looked at their plan. You're you're not, you're... well. right. We're keeping it short this week because of, uh, well... For obvious reasons.
0: Impor- because of important other things, which not- I fully appreciate.
1: Well, we're honored to have you on. Harvey J.K., oh, Professor Harvey J.K. is author of Take Hold of Our History, Make America Radical Again. And you should also pick up The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and the Greatest Generation Truly Great. These are actually not just readable, but fun. And and it'll it'll encourage you to see beyond what cnn and msnbc is peddling as both news and history yeah right right thank you david thank you don't watch tv right do, do not get your news from cnn or msnbc what are you turning to to get your information
0: okay in the morning i look at some of the videos from hill tv live with uh crystal ball mm-hmm. um Midday, I actually turn to majority report for a while over lunch. Right. Um, I, I also pick up BBC News. I in the evening, I watch. I'm a member of the Young Turks network. Um, late at night, I listen to the likes of David Feldman's show. I listen to uh, John Fuglesang's, uh Tell Me Everything podcast and, and his radio show. I mean, and I Alex Jones.
1: You love Alex Jones, right? Oh Maybe is he not. a
0: football player who's that guy? I don't know. Alex Jones, he's the I know who he is. I I'm know. just kidding. Oh, I, okay. you know yeah.
1: I Harvey not to J- think about. It. Harvey J.K <laughs> is your Twitter handle. Harvey J.K. right, Thank you. Follow this man into the gates of hell. Thank Although you. I think we're, I think we're there already. Can you stay on I think the, so. Can you stand on the line <laughs> okay. for one second?:
0: You bet. love you, David. I love you too. Thank you. Stay on the
1: line for one quick second.